Welcome to Grace and Glory Audio featuring Pastor P.G. Matthew. Today, Pastor Matthew speaks on Kingdom Norms, Part 2, preached on March 2, 1997. Blessed are those who mourn. The character of the citizens of the kingdom of God is revealed in Matthew 5, 1 through 12. And there we read, blessed are those who mourn. It sounds utterly ridiculous and incredible in the ears of the modern unbeliever. Blessed are those who mourn. Jesus, you are not thinking positively. Man's philosophy is Blessed are those who laugh, eat, drink, and be merry now. For tomorrow we cannot. Modern man is in a pursuit of happiness. And they look for pleasure. They look for entertainment. Drugs of various types in huge quantities flow to this country daily to satisfy the demand and the hunger of Americans for happiness. But Jesus here says, blessed are the spiritually bankrupt, blessed are those who weep, blessed are the meek, and so on. Such teachings make no sense to a hardened sinner who craves for and in hot pursuit of pure pleasure. Blessed are those who mourn. Such a person is blessed who recognizes that he is a sinner before God. He is blessed in the sense that he is approved by God. Such a person is admitted to the salvation of the kingdom of God. He weeps over his various sins. Not only he recognizes that he is poor in spirit, that he is bankrupt, that he is a miserable sinner, but he goes a step further. He weeps over his various particular sins. And let me tell you, there is no greater blessing than to hear this divine benediction, this divine approval. Blessed. They and they alone see God and dwell with Him forever. But there is also a divine disapproval. And St. Luke tells us in Luke 6 and verse 25, Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Such shall be disbarred from the presence of God. Cursed are they, and they shall hear the terrible words of Christ's judgment as recorded in the seventh chapter of this Sermon on the Mount. Depart from me. You evildoers, 
and they shall spend their eternity away from the blessedness of God's presence. The question is, are you blessed? Are you poor in spirit? Do you mourn for your many and particular sins you have committed? If not, the word of God to us is repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ alone and you shall be blessed. Approved by God, you will hear the divine benediction. Let me tell you, you cannot be blessed by trying to be jovial, by the use of cosmetics, by being a smart dresser, because you have a great tan, because you are looking thin, because you pretend to be athletic, and speaks about sports, because you possess a lot of expensive toys, or because you are smiling a lot with plastic smile, or because you have sex appeal. The sure way to receive divine benediction is to repent, to be poor in spirit, to mourn, to be meek, to be merciful, to hunger and thirst after righteousness, and so on. Blessed are those who mourn. The world says, have a good time, have fun, be happy, don't worry, maximize pleasure, minimize pain, avoid if you can, don't be serious. People of the world are like the passengers on the deck of the Titanic. Of course, it is sinking, but they are oblivious to it. They are having a party. No, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Let me tell you, no one mourns unless the Holy Spirit convicts him of sin. Unless the Holy Spirit reveals him that he is a violator of the Ten Commandments, in letter and in spirit. If you look at a woman lusting after her, you have committed adultery in your heart, Jesus said. Thou shalt not covet, thunders the Tenth Commandment. And we all have coveted, we all have committed adultery, we all have violated God's law. But only a Christian, under the conviction of the Spirit, becomes realistic and declares that he is not only spiritually bankrupt, but he is also grieving over the multitude of his personal sins. It is he who declares that he was an enemy of God. To sin is being against a holy God. That is the very heart and essence of sin. No, he is not weeping because of financial loss. 
because of terminal sickness, because of the death of the loved ones, or because of loneliness, or because of a recent divorce, or because of children problem, or because of rejections experienced. Let me tell you, these may in God's providence drive him to repent and mourn for his sins. And to that extent, we must welcome these problems. But the Christian mourns because he sinned against a holy God and brought dishonor to his name. The word mourn is a very strong word. It is the word used in Genesis 37 and verse 34 that describes the deep mourning of Jacob when he was told the news that his son Joseph was killed. Jacob mourned. This mourning is not just pretended gloominess and long-facedness. Remember what a little girl said about Christians. Daddy, that horse must be a Christian. It has got such a long face. This is not a worldly sorrow. The kind that Esau experienced. Or Saul experienced. Or Judas experienced. And we read about Judas' repentance and mourning in the 27th chapter of Matthew, and there we read that Judas justified Jesus. Judas confessed his sin. Judas made restitution. And we are told that Judas experienced grief and remorse. Yet he was not saved. He did not trust in Jesus and be saved. He went and hanged himself and entered into his miserable eternity. Oh, if this is godly mourning. This is godly sorrow. This is godly weeping. This is the kind recorded in Romans chapter 7 where Paul says, What a wretched man I am. And this is godly sorrow concerning which Paul wrote to Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 7. Worldly sorrow of Saul, Esau, or Judas did not lead to eternal life, but to death. Theirs was a repentance unto death. But godly sorrow leads, leads to repentance and brings salvation. Godly sorrow causes one to lose sin despise it and repudiate it. It is what St. Peter calls in Acts 11 and verse 18, repentance unto life, unto life eternal. Those who experience godly sorrow truly forsake sin and turn to the Savior. And that was the experience of David. And that was the experience of the prodigal son. But Saul, whose repentance was only worldly sorrow, turned not to God. But in the time of his troubles, he's turned to the witch of Endor. Listen to St. Augustine. This is what he said about godly sorrow. He truly repents of the sins he has committed. Who 
never commits the sins he has repented of. That is godly sorrow. That is godly weeping. And we see such weeping in the Holy Scriptures. Let's look at the characteristics of such godly sorrow. First, it's spontaneous. Turn with me to Luke chapter 7. There is a sinful woman coming into a house where Jesus was eating with the Pharisee. Let me read to you from verse 36 of Luke 7. Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, so he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume, and as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. That is godly sorrow functioning in spontaneity, weeping. In other words, godly sorrow is spontaneous, spontaneously produced by the Spirit of the living God. It is not mechanical and forced thing. Secondly, it is spiritual. And you see that in Psalm 51, David, who committed such horrible sins. And he says in verse 4, Psalm 51, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. The heart of sin is against God. Or look at the prodigal who says, I have sinned against heaven. That means against God. He understands what sin is. When we repent, we are not looking at us or anybody else. We are looking at God whom we dishonored by our rebellion. And our violation of law, it is spiritual, spirit-produced repentance that causes one to see the true nature of sin. And not only that, this weeping is particular. It's not some general little prayer superficially uttered, Oh God, forgive all my sins. Look at Psalm 51, verse 3, For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. We forget everything, isn't it? We forget everything. We don't want to think about that which is negative. But David says, My sin is ever before me. Oh, it's not just a general confession, a superficial confession. Sin is specific. And should be repented of particularly. And not only that, such godly sorrow, such weeping involves hatred of sin. 1 Corinthians 7 verse 11, it speaks about, oh, your great indignation. The Corinthians despised the sins they committed. They now show such great indignation. They are not sweeping it under the rug. They hate it. They abhor it. They loathe it. They despise it. 
And when we are in such deep mourning, we also make restitution. Remember Zacchaeus saying, if I have cheated anybody, I will pay back fourfold. That's deep mourning for sin. Also, this mourning is due to realism. He who repents is coming into reality. Coming away from the fog into reality. So weeping demonstrates that person has entered into the realm of reality. And let me tell you, only a Christian looks at life realistically. A Christian is the one by the spirit of the living God. He has come to himself. Away from the madness and the insanity. And the irrationalism. He is brought back to the truth of the Holy Scripture. He is realistic about death. He says death is. All will die. It is appointed for man to die. And then comes the judgment. He is realistic about it. He also is realistic about God and his existence. God is. The infinite holy God is. And he is both a judge and a savior. He is realistic about it. He is realistic about the nature of sin. And he exposes it. Sin is against God. And he will not cover it up. He will expose it. Because he understands how terrible sin is. He is realistic about eternity. Eternity is. Whether you believe it or not. And all are rushing into it. Hurtling into it every day. Eternity of hell or eternity of heaven. But he is also aware gospel is. He is aware of good news. That there is a way out of darkness into light. A way out of hell into heaven. A way out of death into eternal life. He is realistic about it. And as a result, he turns in hope to Jesus Christ of the cross. Now let me tell you, number seven, this weeping is continuous. Why is it? Let me tell you why. Sin is still dwelling in us. Therefore, an ongoing repentance, ongoing confession, ongoing weeping. Ongoing grieving that I have dishonored God by my personal and particular sin. And not only that, this weeping has to do with first personal sins. And you see that in the life of David, in the life of the prodigal son. But he also grieves for the sins of others. The psalmist in Psalm 119 and verse 136, the psalmist says this, Streams of tears flow from my eyes, for your law is not obeyed. Read Daniel chapter 9. He not only confesses his sins and weeps for his sins, but he weeps for the sins of others. Read the book of Ezra. Chapter 10 and verse 6, and, and we read, He mourned over the unfaithfulness of the exiles. Yes, 
We must mourn for our own sins. We must mourn for the sins of our family. We must mourn for the sins of the church. And more. We must mourn for the sins of the world. How God's glory is affected by our sins. How we heap dishonor to the name of our glorious God. And let me give you some motivation for godly weeping. Divine motivations the Puritans spoke about. If you are not inclined to weep and grieve over your sins, let me give you some principles that can motivate you if you are the elect, the chosen of God. Because no one else repents with godly sorrow. First, it is the best use of tears. God has created man with the capacity to weep. And there it is, the best use for tears. It will be for what? God, I have sinned. I grieve you. Bible says, grieve not the Holy Spirit by whom you are sealed to the day of redemption. I grieved you. Secondly, Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Let me tell you, the choice is this. Do you want to weep now? Or do you want to weep later? That ought to give you strong motivation to weep now so that you can be comforted. There is no comfort later when people weep in hell. In other words, tears prevents mourning in hell later on. Great motivation, don't you think? Number three, the Bible speaks about the preciousness of tears. Psalm 56 and verse 8 tells us God is keeping a record of our tears. People keep record of money, isn't that true? Accountants know that. But here is a God functioning as an accountant, but he is keeping record of our tears because it is more precious than gold in the sight of God. Number four, show me a man, show me a woman, show me a teenager, show me a young kid who is weeping in the presence of God. I will show you a man, I'll show you a woman, I'll show you a teenager, I'll show you a kid who is under the influence of grace. I'll show you a person who has come under the influence of the mighty Holy Spirit. In other words, tears are evidences of God's grace. Ezekiel 36 and verse 26 tells us how God will remove a heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. It is my prayer that God will give us a heart of flesh that will weep. Heart of stones cannot weep. And number five, motivation. It says blessed, isn't it? Those who mourn are blessed. There is a divine benediction resting upon the person who weeps before God. Number six, we read in Psalm 42 verse 3, My tears have been my food day and night. 
I would like to put you on a diet of holy tears. Try it. You will like it. It will feed your soul as nothing else would. Sweeter than honey. To be able to weep before God under the influence of the mighty Holy Spirit. Number seven, it does good to others. But eight, let me tell you, the motivation is this. Our weeping is finite and our tears are finite. In other words, there is an end to our weeping and tears and soon that end will come. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes we are. Psalm 30 and verse 5 says, Weeping may endure for the night, but joy cometh. Blessed are those who mourn, and they shall be what? Comforted. Who will be comforted? Only those who repent. Only those who mourn, in other words. Those who give over their sins under the conviction of the Spirit. Only those who will be comforted, who will cry out saying, Woe is me! I'm undone! I'm unclean! I have sinned against heaven and against you! I have sinned grievously! My sin is so great! They alone shall be comforted. They alone look to the cross of Jesus Christ and know that Christ died for their sins. That Christ came to seek and save that which is lost. The cross causes us to weep. But also the cross causes us to weep. They shall be comforted. This is a divine passive. That is, they shall be comforted by God himself. Not just man. Not just the pastor. Not just father and mother. They shall be comforted by the infinite, personal, holy, all-loving, heavenly Father. Isaiah, in the 40th chapter, says this, Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, comfort ye. This is God's plan from all eternity, to comfort his people. The truth is, the comforter came, the Christ, the anointed one, the suffering servant, and Isaiah tells us in the 53rd chapter, the punishment that brought us peace, comfort, was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed, we are saved, we are comforted. He came preaching good news to the poor in spirit. He came comforting the brokenhearted. He tells us, arise and shine for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord rises upon you. Hallelujah. The comforter has come. He is Jesus Christ our Lord. Isaiah says in the 61st chapter, this Messiah is sent to preach good news to the poor. This Messiah is sent to bind up the brokenhearted. This Messiah is sent for the specific purpose to comfort all who and provide for those who grieve in Zion. That's not the end of it. Let me read it. 
to bestow on them, meaning those who are brokenhearted, those who mourn, those who grieve, those who are poor in spirit, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of what? Ashes. <laughs> you want a crown of beauty? Get a crown of ashes. The oil of gladness he gives instead of mourning. You want oil of gladness? Start weeping, repenting, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. It is Christ's business, Isaiah says, to comfort you. It is also the Holy Spirit's business to comfort you. He is our advocate, our comforter. He is for us. The Holy Spirit applies redemption to us effectually and individually. He regenerates us, gives us a spirit of repentance, causes us to believe our sins are forgiven. Christ's righteousness is imputed to us in all its perfection and all its glory. We've been justified forever. We've been adopted. We are sons and daughters of God. We stand in God's presence. St. Paul says we are in God. And St. John says God is in us. <laughs> if that doesn't comfort you, I don't know what is going to comfort you. In God and God in us. What comfort, what peace, what joy. He heard our cries. He tells Moses he heard their cries. They are groaning. And he said, I have come down to bring them out from under the burdens and bring them into a land that is flowing with milk and honey. He rescued us from under the burden of sin and guilt and alienation. He has brought us out into the glorious freedom of the children of God. Listen to him. He calls all those who labor and are burdened. All come unto me, all who mourn, whosoever, one and all, rich and poor, black and white, come unto me, I'll give you comfort. I'll give you rest. Rest for your souls, the real thing. See that young man coming. See, he is coming. A poor, wretched, miserable, naked specimen of humanity. He is coming. He is all that, but he is what is coming. Hallelujah. And he is coming home. To the Father he is coming. He is coming. Mourning and weeping, but he is coming. And he is coming home. And he is coming to the Father. And he says, Father, I have sinned against God and against you. Not worthy to be called your son. Just make me a servant of yours at the lowest rank. For I need to be comforted. Save me, for I am dying. See, he is being comforted. Hugged and kissed. Was given garment put ring on his finger, shoes. It's great music, we are told. 
lot of food, a lot of eating, a lot of fellowship. What a comfort. And the father says, we have to do this. We have a big reason. For this, my son was lost, but he is found. He was dead, but he's alive. Come unto me, he says, I'll give you rest. Rest for your souls. Did you say about these many sins? Yes, but forgiven. What about the penalty? Gone forever, son. From far country of sin and shame, you have come to enter the kingdom of God where there is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Yes, sin was the problem, but its penalty is gone forever. But you ask the question, but sin is still powerful, but the comfort comes. It says, I'll give you power over the power of sin. And you say, Father, sin is polluting. He said, I will cleanse you. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all our sins. That's comfort, isn't it? But it's going to grow bigger. And one day the very presence of sin will be eliminated. And then we shall see him face to face. And we shall enter into the fullness of comfort. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And let me read to you what Paul says. Verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God for just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives so also through Christ our comfort overflows look at the cross yes it causes you to weep when you know Christ died for your sins but also the comfort overflows from the cross of Jesus Christ. And that comfort is the Father's comfort for us. Yes, one day I said we will enter into the fullness of it. And God shall wipe away every tear from every believer. Listen to the Heidelberg Catechism. The question is asked. And let me read the question. What is your only comfort in life and death? That's a question. And listen to the answer very carefully. That I, with body and soul, both in life and death, am not my own, but belong unto my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who with his precious blood has fully satisfied for all my sins and delivered me from all the power of the devil. 
and so preserves me that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Yea, that all things must be subservient to my salvation. Wherefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready henceforth to live unto him. That's comfort. I must ask the question, then why are we not weeping? Let me give you a few reasons why. And if that is your reason, then I exhort you as your pastor to get rid of that reason. First, love of sin. I love sin with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's the reason. One doesn't weep and repent. Is that your reason? Number two. Number two reason is despair, saying my sin is too great that nobody can do anything about it. But it is a lie, isn't it? It is a devaluation of the cross. There is no sin that is too great that the blood of Jesus Christ cannot deal with it. Is that your reason? Number three, presumption of mercy. Well, God will show me mercy, no matter what. Don't be too sure about that. No one enters into the kingdom of God without repentance. Number four, my sin is small. No big deal. I don't think it's a big deal to God. I'm basically a nice man. You are underestimating the heinousness of sin. The wages of sin is death. Big sin, small sin, it makes no difference. But the truth is, everyone is prayed. Number five, procrastination. Someday I will weep and moan and repent. Now let me uh, make money. Let me have pleasure. Now let me play. Now let me laugh. Now let me have fun. Maybe when I become very old, then I won't be able to play golf. When I will not have a lot of desires, maybe at that time, I will consider repenting. Is that your situation? Number six reason. God's judgment is delayed. But if you study that, you find he is delaying the judgment to lead you to repentance. Are these reasons cause you to be unrepentant? I exhort you this morning to forsake these reasons. Ask God to give you a spirit of repentance. Weep, mourn, because we sin. 
and you shall be comforted. Today, if you hear his voice, the Bible says what? Harden not your heart. It's your day. Harden not your heart. Cry out to God. Forsake it. Abhor it, loathe it. Have godly sorrow. Don't turn to the witch of Endor. Don't go and hang yourself. Turn to the cross. There overflows great comfort for you. Rest for your soul. Heavenly Father, we pray for all these. Have mercy upon them. Grant them repentance unto life. Give them rest, comfort. Crown them with joy. Give them oil of gladness. Garment of praise. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.